Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to interrupt our weekly uh, Wednesday wisdom with Pastor Bland with Wednesday wanderings with Paul Marion. And just for a few moments, I just want you to, to take a wander with me. I'm not sure where we're going to go, but by the grace of God, we're going to get there. Amen? Amen. There's an old saying that a person with no expectations will never be disappointed. But the truth is that anyone afraid of disappointment is not living a life of reality. Such a person is living, what, in, in fear. And this fear could be of a wider operation in that person's life, the fear of disappointment being only a particular manifestation of the problem. That word expectation, we hear it a lot. We need to expect expectation we need it but what does it really mean well expectation is defined by one dictionary as a belief that something will happen or be the case it defines expectant as hoping or anticipating that something especially something pleasant is about to happen the first element we can extract from this is that the person holding the expectation must have a belief. Belief is the foundation stone of expecting. A person who cannot bring himself or herself to hold a belief that something can happen to him or her in the future cannot have an expectation. You just can't do it. So holding a belief a belief in something is crucial. The next, we find that expectation involves hoping or anticipating that an event will occur in the future. This means that when a person has an expectation, he or she is hoping for or looking forward to an event taking place in the future, especially a pleasant or even positive one. Now, we must have expectations that connect with our aspirations, hopes, and dreams. And expectations are the bridges that enable us to get to where we desire to be. They can actually drive us in the right direction. So anyone afraid of disappointment will live without expectations, aspirations, hopes, or dreams. So you have optimists, then you have pessimists. Then you have some that say, well, brother, I'm just a realist. No, you're not a realist. You're a pessimist in disguise. That's really what it is. I understand, well, I'm pragmatic or I'm practical. That is okay. But anyone that tries to explain that element of their lives, there's, there's a sense of negativity that has them hijacked. So achieving breakthroughs or experiencing miracles begins with positive expectations, which will see us through. Now, a person with such an expectation is not likely to give up easily, even when life's storms suddenly emerge. On the other hand, a person without an expectation, especially an expectation of a breakthrough, can easily give up on life and allow the storms to overwhelm him or her. 
In Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52, we learn that Bartimaeus, who was blind, had faith in Jesus and also had expectations, which he demonstrated by calling out to the son of David for mercy. For the Bible says in 10, 49 and 50, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Well, in those days, a blind person or a beggar as well had to wear some type of an outer garment to identify him. So most likely, he probably had something that somewhat covered his face or covered his eyes. But the interesting part with blind Bartimaeus is by taking off the garment, he showed that his expectation that he would receive healing from Jesus and his garment would no longer be needed because he was truly healed. And as we know, his expectation, of course, came to pass. Now, in another biblical account in Acts 3, we find that a crippled man had also had an expectation. There are many different techniques to begging for alms, or as they call today, panhandling. Some adopt the passive methods where they just sit there without doing anything. Sometimes they'll have the, the cup and just kind of sit there a little bit, and then you just happen to walk by and drop the change in that cup. Others are more proactive by having a sign on every single corner of every exit off the interstate saying, feed me, I'm going through something, and that's a way that they solicit or ask for help. Others will play the guitar, or there's a really good one over at the Target by, in Brentwood. Some guy will play a violin, and I feel a little bit more courage. All right, he's working for it to go and give him some money. Then others, like our great quick trip over at Howder Shell, will show up to your window and knock on the window and say, do you have any change? And then I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have any change. And then they'll say, are you sure you don't have any change? And I'm like, I I'm pretty sure I don't have any change. Well, why don't you go ahead and just double check? And at that point, I'm just, don't kill me and try to find something for them. So some are a little more aggressive than others. Well, the crippled man in the story adopted more of a gentle, expected method. Acts 3, verse 2 and 3 says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And we read that the lame man took the initiative, he took a, a step, a reach, when he stretched out his hand for money. He did not just sit there and wait for something to happen, but he took initiative. And perhaps if, if he had not taken that small but crucial stretch, he would not have come to, note, to the notice of Peter and John, and they would have gone straight into the temple for 
their prayers. But by reaching out his hand and asking for money, the crippled man not only caught the attention of Peter and John, but as well he showed them that he had an expectation, that he needed something. For Acts 3 verse 4 says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. In verse 5, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. In other translations, it says that they directed their gaze intently at him or, or they fixed their eyes on him or they looked him straight in the eye. This suggests that the move which the crippled man made provoked something inside the two apostles that made them focus on the crippled man in a way that went beyond the ordinary. It was as if they adjusted their eyes or their lenses and zoomed more directly at him. He was able to catch their attention. And the seed of giving something over and beyond the natural was being sown with this special adjustment of their eyes on the man. And they started giving him all their attention with direct focus and intent looks. Now, no doubt... That got the man's attention even more as he decided to focus on the two apostles as they had requested. And although the man had an expectation to begin with, the action of Peter and John ignited his interest further and raised his expectation even higher. Now the problem with many of us today is that we are passively waiting for manna to fall from heaven or coins to drop in our beggar's cups. Too many simply do nothing. We just wait for something to happen. Oh, we're going to have revival. We wait for a revival to happen. Oh, God's going to move in my family. We sit back and wait for God to do something. And when God doesn't move, we get upset, even though we did not move. Too many simply do nothing, just waiting for something to happen. And some people still expect manna to come down from heaven. And their idea of being Christians is, is waiting for God to drop change in our cups. They do not take the initiative. And the truth is that God has been out of the business of dropping manna a long time ago. God may be ready to intervene on our situations, but he will expect us to make some moves. It's called, what is that? That step of faith, that critical step of faith. Now, you could sit exactly where you're at on a Sunday morning, and God can meet you right where you are and heal you. But sometimes it requires us to step out of our comfort zone, lift up our hands before the, up in the sky and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. That step of faith of coming down the altar, say, God, I'm coming towards you. Can you meet with me? Now, one of my favorite Sundays, my fa I love every Sunday at the sanctuary, but I have a particular favorite one. In fact, just shout it out. What's your favorite Sunday throughout the year? Just go. What, what is it? Every Sunday, I already used that. It's cheating. What else? Easter. Easter's a good one. Any other ones? What was that? Christmas? Oh, yeah. Good old candlelight service. Back in the day, we used to have all the wax all over the chairs. Remember that one day where Brother Dugas almost set his head on fire? Because that thing was down too low. Well, oh, I miss my bishop. 
One of my favorite Sundays of the year is the first Sunday of January, the first Sunday of the new year. That's when our pastor steps to the pulpit and he makes a declaration of what the church can expect God to do in the upcoming year. And over the last few years, it's been exciting. And you can hear how people will get kind of pumped. What's the theme going to be? You know, and so sometimes we'd wait to unveil the theme and we had destiny and go forward and together. What is it going to be this year? And many times he will declare it will be a year of breakthrough. It will be a year of victory. It will be a year of prosperity. And such declarations will commonly be greeted with excitement and very long hallelujah. Because we get excited for what God is going to do in the upcoming new year. We will go home overjoyed with excitement, with expectation and a hope for the coming year because of the declaration that was provided by our shepherd. And after the New Year's celebration are over, however, sometimes reality sets in. And then acting on the declarations, some people position themselves strategically to receive and be active participant, participants of that declaration. Then there are some who were present at the very time the declaration was made and embraced it and then went on and did nothing. So they go about their lives, or we go about our lives in the same way as before, and we wait for the breakthrough, the victory, the prosperity, or whatever the declaration was to come and locate them. But for those who did not strategically position themselves, January would come past, and, and then February and March goes by, and then we notice it's the same result. And then November, December, then we start thinking, well, how many people did I reach in 2022? Did I reach my prodigal? Did I reach my neighbor? Did I touch my community? And then when we don't see the result we wanted, well, we have to blame someone for it. Well, we need more people getting the Holy Ghost, or, or we need to have more revivals, or, or we need more people getting baptized. And I noticed that the people who say that, I want to say, how many people did you reach out to to facilitate such a transformation that, that you are declaring? And so too often we get upset. If I roll around December and my goal was to lose 50 pounds and I gained two and I'm 52 pounds, Maybe I could blame my wife for her amazing cooking and not waking me up to go to the gym. Or I can look in the mirror and say, I can have all the goals I want, but if I don't get up and do something, I'm not going to achieve that goal. So if I want revival at the sanctuary, it's going to start with me. If I want to teach a Bible study, it's going to start with me. Now, yes, we all have different callings, and I'm thankful for that. Some of us are called to evangelize. Some of us are called to teach Bible studies. Some of us are called to reach out to prodigals. We are all different, and that's a good thing. But we can't sit there and complain that action isn't happening when we are not doing anything. Many say the buck stops with the pastor. I beg to differ. I think the buck stops with me as a person on what I believe God can do in my life, in my family, in my church. In order for us to have revival, we need to have vessels. I need to be a revival vessel. 
But we complain, and oftentimes what ends up happening is we feel bad that our expectations were not met, and so we need somebody to blame. And so if we blame ourselves, we just beat ourselves. I think some of us need to look in the mirror and look up to God and say, God, I really want to be used by you. Help me to do better. I want revival, and revival starts with me. We cannot expect manna to just fall from the sky, but we have to do something. Oh, man, the, 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 this past week we had the Deaf Evangelism Conference. You guys knew that, 50th anniversary. There's, there's a lot of people in the building. It was super awesome. It was the, the longest, craziest conference, um, and we're so blessed to host it. And um, I noticed that if you walked right outside here, one of the booths, it was great. Um, uh, Dr. Sargent, you're an author. Uh, there was a book, and I don't know who the author was. It was sitting there, and it just was hashtag Jesus stole my weed with a burning blunt on the front. Jesus stole my weed. I was like, all right, okay, cool. Brother Brennan and I had a chuckle. And then the best was Friday, my wife's like, look what I bought, look at these t-shirts. Aren't these great? Hashtag Jesus stole my weed because it's the greatest conversation starter. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, wear it. It speaks to me because marijuana addiction was a massive part of my life. Many of you guys know that. I was a big drug addict. I got into all types of other drugs, and thankfully God brought me out of it. And, I'm, and, and in a sense, I understand that, that Jesus stole my weed it's so funny to even say that. And I'm not going to hate on the brother. I'm sure he made a ton of money and, and all the proceeds went towards great things and everybody bought the book. But there's an aspect of that. In order for me to get over my addiction, I needed to take my weed. I needed to give it to Jesus. He had to meet me in the middle. And I noticed that too often in my adolescenthood, in my struggle, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 son of 22. I was always waiting for God to step in and just pull the addiction out of me. To step in and pull the desires from my heart. To step in and my expectation was that God was going to do it. But I was always expecting that I was going to fail. The same old altar call. The same old this. And all of a sudden, 15 turns to 21 real quickly. And some of us were battling the same thing over and over and over and over. And I'm coming with an expectation that God is going to do the miraculous. But why aren't I cutting the individuals out of my life that are causing somewhat the addiction? Why aren't I removing myself from areas and situations that are causing me to fall? Oh, God, do this. God, do that. But I'm the same person going back to the same circumstance and the same situation. Then I say, the oh, woe is me. And what ends up happening is the altar becomes a place of failure where we spend years and years and years hoping, praying, failing. But that's not how it is supposed to be. I was so happy that we had four little girls filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Absolutely amazing. I was so happy. Uh, the uh, Bible quiz and extravaganza when my daughter was filled with the Holy Ghost. I noticed something though with my daughter as a, uh, first I was really as a father praying in the altar and just how incredible it was. 
But one thing is that I noticed that there was somewhat of a hesitancy to come to the altar and pray. Because there was quite a few times, different children's revivals or whatnot, that she'd come to the altar and God wouldn't fill her with the Holy Ghost. So she automatically thought that she was a failure. And I noticed the parents of the wonderful four that were filled with the Spirit, they were very almost like, we're glad that they were filled. We did not want them coming back from junior camp not filled with the Spirit because then all of a sudden, well, what is wrong with me? And I can't stand that so many people feel that way. We need to come with an expectation, but understand it's all about God's timing. And every time I pray with these babies in the altar, I tell them, hey, let's try to get the Holy Ghost. Let's do it. Let's pray. Let's have faith. Let's expect. And when the Holy Ghost doesn't fall, for whatever reason, it's not God's timing. I say, let's just rejoice. The Holy Ghost was all over you. It's not necessarily your time just yet, but God's going to do some great things. And I prop them up and I try to make them walk away from the altar, whether they filled or not, excited that God was doing something in their lives. So I want to encourage someone in this place. Maybe some of you have been coming to the altar for a long time. You've been battling all types of things. And maybe you didn't get what you wanted or what you needed or what you decided or whatever the case may be. Always leave the altar rejoicing that God is God. That He is amazing. He is righteous. He is holy. That God is the one that is in charge. And it changes the narrative of the constant beating ourselves up. I love the verse in Psalm chapter 62, verse 5. It confirms when it says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. This tells us that expectation is from God, but that this can be true only for those who have faith and confidence in Him. A person who does not believe in God cannot have an expectation from Him. That person's expectation would be from what he or she believes in, but an expectation, it derives from faith in God. It derives from the Holy Ghost. My prayer is, God, put an expectation in me. I want to connect with you. I want to not only put desires in my heart, but God, make every expectation I have of what you're going to do. Let it come exactly from you. And we walk in belief and hope and anticipation that God is going to do the miraculous. For Proverbs 23, 18 says, For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. This tells us that our expectations will not be cut off, but they will ultimately be realized because God is in control. So we go back at the crippled man, so far, so good for the crippled man. He had positioned himself strategically. He had an expectation that he, he took an active step, an initiative by stretching out his hand out to Peter and John for alms. And this brought their walk to the temple to a halt, and their focus became the crippled man. But there was one thing that the man could have done differently. His expectation could have been higher, so much higher than he had hoped for. See, the crippled man could have had an expectation of receiving a miracle such as healing or deliverance, and for him to have obtained such a result, he should have conceived of it by way of expectation and nurtured it through anticipation, praise God. 
However, in this case, all he hoped for was some change in his beggar's cup. Strategically positioned as the crippled man was, his expectation was too small. However, Peter responded by making that powerful declaration in Acts 3, 6 and 8. Then Peter, or 6 and 7, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet, ankle and bones received strength. See, the crippled man had expectations, but they were too small. Peter and John taught him, and all of us that dive into the scripture, that we should look at Jesus Christ of Nazareth and beyond our present situation. Not looking at the circumstances of what's all around us, but looking at what God wants to do. I'll be honest, I think God wants to do so much more with this church. God wants to do so much more with me individually, as a husband, as a father, as a soul winner in this community. And I'm thankful for our pastor. If you notice the theme of God really wanting to push us and weed out all of the things that make us comfortable and hold us back. Because God wants the miraculous to manifest. But before it manifests here, it has to manifest here in my personal walk, in my personal life. And too many of us base our present circumstances. But on your future aspirations, as long as they are in line with God's promises, pray destiny-fulfilling prayers. God can heal this community. Sister Davis, when she would teach the youth prayer, Monday, Monday night youth prayers, we'd have incredible moves of God. She talked, well, yes, pray for prodigals. She said, yes, pray. Pray uh, for our community. But she'll say, why can't, hey, Sister Davis, why can't all of Hazelwood be filled with the Holy Ghost and be saved? Why can't the entire county be filled with the Holy Ghost and be saved? Why can't we have city blocks full of revival? I'll be honest with you. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to keep this youth group together. She's wanting to save the entire world. I look back on those times, woe is me for putting God in a box. God wants to do so much more than we imagine. God wants to heal the entire county, the entire city. And I believe he wants to use the people in this auditorium. Let's not limit our expectations. But just as when a person has a positive expectation... It looks forward to the day when it will be fulfilled. <laughs> Negative expectations can also come to pass. If a person harbors a negative expectation, there is a danger that the expectation will come to pass. So, for me personally, I hate using myself as examples, but so it goes. So one of my best friends in the entire world is Brother Mike Mays. Love Brother Mike Mays. He was a wonderful man. Now he's, he's pastoring, in fact. And why he's so special to me is because when you are, for some of you that have been in the ministry, Brother Sergeant, for a long time, you don't really have a whole lot of friends that you can really connect with and be open and transparent with. Well, Brother Mays, he was a youth pastor for over a decade. So he came in here moving his family. His, his daughter was sick and needed to be connected to the children's hospital here in St. Louis. And uh, 
God brought him here. He ended up being our men's director. But during that season, he was able to relate to a lot of the frustrations I had as a youth pastor. Because let's be honest, anyone in ministry, it's really hard when your pastors are also your bosses. And so sometimes you just need somebody to vent to and talk to. Well, you can't go and vent to your wife because basically you're talking smack about your pastor slash bosses to your wife. And then she's going to be like, uh-uh, how dare you? Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense, Sister Plan? She's like, I guess. Let's see where you're going. So he was in my life. And he helped. And during the tr all types of transitions that took place here and uh, the, the, the desert and what we were going to do. And then, you know, the, Brother Dugas passes away. And then we fire Brother Graham and just trying to <laughs> figure out, you know, what's going to happen. And we believe our, our, our executive pastor is our pastor. And it happens. And praise God, everything's great. And I'm thankful for all that God has done. Um, but I had a dear friend that was able to help me. Well, praise God, the door opened up for Brother Mike Mays to go to um, pastor in Louisiana, Missouri, about an hour and a half from here, moves off to Troy, and then boom, he's kind of gone. That's it, that's all. And it was kind of a difficult time. And then all of a sudden, during around that time, my wife connects with, with Shelby, and our kids are the same age, and Shelby ha happens to be married to this crazy guy out of the Navy in, in North Carolina, and then he becomes a very dear friend, someone that you could just hang out with, connect with, rely on, and then the Navy kicks him out, and he goes to North Carolina, and then here I am again, all alone. So then I start thinking to myself, I'm done. If I have another goodbye party, they don't want me, I don't want them. And I think to myself, why, why does everybody leave? Man, I love Brother Miller, my man. I'm like, man, I can be best friends with Brother Miller. He's probably going to leave. <laughs> He's probably going to get up and leave. As soon as I begin to be friends with Brother Marquez, they're gone. They're going to go to Texas or something. So you know what? I found myself building a wall around everybody around me, the men and friends in the church, because my expectation was why put my best foot forward? They're going to leave me anyways. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for individuals in this church and in my life that can stop me in a hallway and say, are you doing okay? Some individuals in this room know exactly, there's something powerful about somebody, an elder, even someone your age, kind of grab you by the arm and say, you doing all right? Maybe get a super early morning, really, really early, early morning Jill Fergie text message that's half the size of a book. When you read it, God's just letting you know he knows where you are and he cares kind of helped me realize, you know, we cannot allow our experiences to dictate what God is going to do. And it happens to all of us, to where we expect bad things are going to happen. We expect people are going to leave. We expect people are going to get sick. And so many of us can have, yeah, Paul, I know what you're saying. You're preaching expectations, and you probably said the word expectations 47,000 times. I'm sure Brother Reed probably wrote it how many times I said it. 
You're telling me to have expectations, but I look around me, all I see is, is, is failure. You got to look over. You got to peer through that wall that so many of us created being self-inflicted and saying, you know what, there's a lot of brothers out here that love me. There's a lot of people out here that care about me. You know what, I'm tired. Let it not be my expectation. Let it be God's expectation of what he is going to do in my life. So we can conclude with returning to the case of the crippled man at the beautiful gate. His thoughts had conditioned him to his situation. His thoughts had made him believe he could not do better than the circumstances in which he found himself. Further, those same thoughts had conditioned him to accept that the best he could ever hope for was receiving small change from people to keep him going from day to day. But from that perspective, which was the perspective of the thoughts in his mind, begging from people going into the temple was his best option. But God revealed to him that day that he is so much bigger and so much stronger and so much more powerful and so much more loving than we could ever possibly imagine. You can have, I, I, sometimes we, we can have our cup up and we're signaling, but I'll tell you what, we need to do so much more. God wants to do something in each and every one of our lives, in our families, in the church. It's not cliche. Sometimes all we think we're just saying revival and over and over and over because we conditioned ourselves and our situations to no longer believe, but God is in it. And I believe my family will have revival. And I believe that my family will have revival because of the prayers that are prayed right here. Like fiery arrows descending upon Canada. We're going to have revival not just in Hazelwood, but across all of North America. But I think it's time for us to stand up and say, I believe in what God is going to do in my life. Amen. Can we just stand right now and lift up our voices and lift up our hands and call upon the name of the Lord together? I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but you do I pray that you lift up your hands and say God take a hold of my expectations and let them be yours let me have revival let me walk in hope and change let me walk in transformation I'm going to walk in unity in the name of Jesus Christ we love you Lord I plead the blood of Jesus upon every person in this place you're a healing God a righteous God a holy God we receive what you want to do we receive the victory help us to tear down the walls of our circumstance and see you for who you are you are God in Jesus precious holy name we pray and everyone said amen 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 you are all dismissed God bless you all have a great evening and week I love you